We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 414 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. I hope that all of our Jewish brothers and sisters are having a safe and meaningful Yom Kippur. Uh, Perhaps the commanders should be fasting and atoning for all of their sins during the team's 1-3 start to the 2022 regular season. That would be quite the fast, okay? And quite the atoning. All of the sins that the team must make up for. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The commanders on this Wednesday are beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the 2-2 Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at 1. And the commanders are beginning this practice week with even more bad news for their offensive line. I tell you, when it rains, it pours. It has been raining a lot in the Washington, D.C. area lately, both literally and metaphorically. And for the commander's offensive line right now is a monsoon. Uh, Next segment, I'll react to the not-so-good news on Tuesday for not one, but two Commander's offensive lineman, center Chase Rulier, and right tackle Samuel Cosme. You'll also hear an interesting cut from head coach Ron Rivera on the impact of the bad offensive line play on quarterback Carson Wentz, who, of course, is far from blameless regarding the team's ongoing three-game losing streak. Uh, I'll then welcome on a special guest, Commander's Insider, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. And we'll get into a number of items with the team, including Ron Rivera going from talking about the need for this season to be a step-forward season for the team to now suggesting that the team still is rebuilding, uh, whether Ron's job is on the line this season, a theory for why Ron's teams traditionally get off to slow starts in seasons, whether Ron is at all close to benching Carson Wentz, uh, a piece that Sam recently wrote about quarterback analytics, how into analytics the commanders are, and plenty more. Uh, Sam Fortier is really good if you're a commanders fan. Trust me, you'll enjoy our conversation. Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, a terrible Tuesday for the Nats. Uh, not that it mattered, but swept in a doubleheader at the National League's number one wildcard team, the New York Mets. 4-2 loss in game one, 8 nothing loss 
in Game 2. But also on Tuesday was President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo conducting an end-of-season session with reporters. I will play for you and react to the most significant things that Mike had to say, including Mike on the Nats' ownership uncertainty and Mike with what were, to me, very telling comments about starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Uh, No game for the Orioles on Tuesday night. Their game two of a three-game series against the number one wildcard team in the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, rained out. And so the two teams are set to play a traditional doubleheader on Wednesday afternoon, beginning at 12.35. A doubleheader for the O's on the final day of MLB's 2022 regular season. You can tweet me at Al Galdi, you can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from District Sports Talk on the commander's coaching staff, writes District Sports Talk. The staff has no plan, no rhyme or reason to the staff's decisions. Dax Milne, as a returner, has zero chance to break one. F.A. Obata not knowing to run the blocked extra point back, dot, dot, dot. Uh, thank you for the tweet. District Sports Talk. Uh, Yeah, so receiver Dax Milne, he has been the commander's primary punt returner and kickoff returner. He has been so-so on returns. He's like middle of the pack in terms of NFL rankings. The F.A. Obata play from the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon. You know, to me, it's still not clear what exactly he did or didn't know, but edge defender F.A. Obata blocked Cowboys kicker Brett Maher's extra point attempt that followed quarterback Cooper Rush's late second quarter, third and six, nine-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Michael Gallup. Obata looked back as he went after the ball after blocking it and then ended up being tackled. I know that the feeling is that Obata didn't know that he could return the ball for two points. That may well have been the case. I don't know, though, that we know that that was the case for sure. He certainly should have at least tried to pitch the ball to another commander's player, but I don't know if he just failed in his attempt to recover the ball or if he actually truly didn't know that he could return the ball for two points, if the latter was the case. If he truly didn't know that he could return the ball for two points, uh, then that is inexcusable. No question. Email from Rich on the commander's quarterback situation writes, Rich, I didn't get upset when we lost at the Cowboys on Sunday. I didn't expect the commanders to have a real shot at competing. I looked over the remaining schedule. It appears that assuming the commander's play remains relatively similar to how the play has been so far this season, the two games that we stand a realistic chance of winning are against the Bears and the Texans. If things are indeed headed south, at what point does it become important to get some tape on Sam Howell before next year's draft, do we wait until the playoff chances are eliminated? If we do finish the season with two or three wins, we'll have a shot at a quarterback. Taylor Heineke is not the answer. Carson Wentz is probably checking his lease agreement. It will be interesting to see how the commanders butcher our future once again. Uh, thank you for the email, Rich. Well, I'll tell you what. If the commanders bench Carson Wentz, and personally, I'm not there yet. you got to give him more than four regular season games. But if we do arrive at that point, if we arrive at the point at which Commander Carson is benched, uh, Sam Howell is the guy who I do want to see. Because at that point, we're going all in on a quarterback search in the 2023 offseason. And you want to try to get at least some sense of what you might have in Sam Howell. But of course, the team may not think that Howell is close to being ready to play in an NFL regular season game, especially given 
the offensive line issues that the team is dealing with right now. And that is something that I know that I'm keeping in mind with Carson Wentz. Yes, he has been really bad in each of the last two games, but I'd like to see what his play would be behind an offensive line that is pass blocking well and isn't committing penalties. You know, I'd like to see what Carson would look like as a commander's quarterback behind an offensive line that's playing at least at a decent level as opposed to the bottom third of the NFL level that the line has been at so far this season. Uh, Email from Mike on the Commanders writes, Mike, love the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Continues, Mike. I've been a fan of the Skins slash Commanders slash WFT Since the day I was born, since I'm in my 20s, that means I haven't seen much success over the years. But seasons like this one are the ones that are the most frustrating. The team has shown signs of good football at times, but something always goes wrong. One week, it's the offense, and next week, it's the defense, and this week, it's the penalties. The problem is, over 20-plus years, we can never just put it all together. I sit here and watch teams that have had problems for years, Jags, Bengals, Browns, etc., find ways to turn things around to where those teams at least are on and off making the playoffs. But why is it that this team is just completely incapable of that? We have serious weapons on both sides of the ball this year. I'm not delusional. I realize Carson Wentz isn't the best quarterback in the league, and our offense is nowhere close to an offense like the Bills offense or any other Super Bowl contender's offense. I also realize that we have big problems at the linebacker position. That said, I feel like anywhere else, this team would at least not be as horrific as the team is. Why is it that no matter who is on this team, we always have problems? A forever disappointed and frustrated fan, Mike. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Well, uh, there is one constant through all of the losing over these last two plus decades, and uh, that constant would be our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. So when in doubt, if you're ever asking yourself, why is this the case with our football team, but not with the other 31 teams in the NFL, the answer inevitably comes back to the Danny, aka Danny Boy. But you know, it is Commanders fans like Mike. Commanders fans say 35 and under, to whom I am always especially sympathetic, because those fans almost certainly have zero memories of the glory days. If you define the glory days as Joe Gibbs' first run as Redskins head coach, 1981, through 1992, you probably have to be at least 36 to have any real memories of the glory days. And even then, right, your memories would be of like 1991, 1992. Think about that, though. Think about how many millions of people (laughs) are 35 and under. All of those people almost certainly have zero memories of the glory days of the team. What the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have needed for decades is new glory days. And instead, all that we've gotten for 30 years are these one-off playoff seasons, 1999, 2005, 2007, 2012, 2015, and 2020. And only in that 1999 season did the team actually get off to a good start. Well, if you're thinking about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the best start to which you can get off is by going with Kellen Hunt, as your real estate agent, visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You may be wondering, hey, is now a good time to buy a home given what has been happening with mortgage rates? Uh, the answer is yes. The rates are sidelining buyers 
causing high-level inventory, the likes of which we have not seen in years, this presents a huge opportunity for buyers. Uh, Think of it like a contrarian approach in sports betting or in analytics. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Uh, With so many other buyers sidelined, that is causing a major rise in inventory and a major reduction in prices, and so you should be buying Kellen Hunt understands all of this. He gets that now is the time to pounce. So, pounce. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kel.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. And make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Well, it is very difficult in the NFL to have a good offense with a bad offensive line. Uh, An offensive line is the platform upon which a quarterback and his skill position players perform. A great offensive line can elevate an offense to incredible heights. Uh, Case in point, the Hawks, right? And how they paved the way for the Redskins to win three Super Bowls in 10 seasons with three different starting quarterbacks and three different number one running backs. But a bad offensive line can ruin an offense. And right now, the commanders have a bad offensive line that is dealing with multiple major injuries. Uh, We on Tuesday got not one, but two negative offensive line injury developments for the commanders. Uh, Negative offensive line injury development number one for the commanders on Tuesday. Multiple reports on Tuesday morning that center Chase Roulier was to undergo right knee surgery and may well be done for the season. Negative offensive line injury development number two for the commanders on Tuesday. Multiple reports on Tuesday afternoon that right tackle Samuel Cosme underwent thumb surgery on Tuesday. Timetable for a return to be determined. So Chase Roulier appears likely to be done for the season, and Sam Cosme could be out for who knows how long. Uh, Yeah, not exactly what the commanders needed. As Mama Evans said on the television show, Good Times, many years ago, after she smashed that glass bowl on the kitchen floor in sheer horror of the death of her husband. Damn, damn, damn. Damn, damn, damn. (laughs) Yes, Mama Evans, exactly. Uh, Now, Chase Roulier already was out, that is true, 
Uh, he has been on the reserve injured list since September 20th due to this reported right knee injury. The Commanders have started three different centers over the team's four regular season games this season. Rulier, Wes Schweitzer, and Nick Martin. And Schweitzer now is on the reserve injured list. The Commanders placed him on that this past Saturday due to a concussion. The good news is that center Tyler Larson could be coming off the reserve physically unable to perform list, uh, i.e. the pup list, this week. Uh, the expectation was that his 21-day practice window would be triggered on Wednesday. Uh, he has been on the pup list since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. But man, Roulier being out for the season would be rough. Uh, Chase Roulier in the 2021 regular season played and started in just eight of Washington's 17 games. He and the loss at the Denver Broncos last Halloween suffered a season-ending fractured left fibula and suffered damage to his left ankle. You know, this is a guy who had been extremely durable. Uh, the Redskins took Roulier in the sixth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. Roulier became Washington's starting center beginning with the 2018 season. He, from the start of the 2018 season through the 2020 season, started 46 of a possible 48 regular season games. In fact, Roulier in the 2018 and 2020 regular seasons played on every Washington offensive snap. Uh, as for Sam Cosme, look, he has had a hard time staying healthy. Uh, Washington took Cosme in the second round of the 2021 NFL Draft. He, in the 2021 regular season, played in just nine of Washington's 17 games. And now he could be out for a while with this thumb injury. We'll see. Maybe he won't miss much time. Hopefully, he won't miss much time. Uh, the good news regarding the Cosme situation is is that the Commanders do have Cornelius Lucas. Uh, the most underrated move of the Commanders' 2022 offseason to me was them re-signing Lucas. The Commanders, on March 24th, officially announced the re-signing of Lucas as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Lucas, in the 2021 regular season, played in 15 games with seven starts. All seven of his starts came at right tackle for Cosme. Uh, Lucas, for the 2021 regular season, an overall grade for pro football focus of 75.2. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. And Lucas, in the 2021 regular season, played on 587 of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed just one penalty. Uh, Washington initially signed Lucas in March 2020, signed him as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year contract. Lucas, in the 2020 season, was Washington starting left tackle for eight regular season games and for the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round of the playoffs. And Lucas did a nice job, and he committed one penalty. Uh, Lucas, in the 2020 regular season, played on 536 of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed just one penalty. Uh, this season is Lucas's age 31 season. He's a big dude. Uh, the commanders list Lucas as being 6'8 and 327 pounds, but he can play. I actually think that the commanders could be just fine with Cornelius Lucas at right tackle, but obviously their offensive tackle depth is taking a hit. And you combine all of this with Sadiq Charles now being the commander starting right guard over the benched Trey Turner. And the commanders have a lot going on right now with their offensive line, uh, for which the analytics are not kind. Uh, the commanders through week four are number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's team pass block win rate for the 2022 regular season at 46%. 
and are number 30 out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's team run block win rate for the 2022 regular season at 68%. Uh, The Commanders, over their last three games, have allowed 16 sacks and 39 quarterback hits. And yes, quarterback Carson Wentz has been responsible for some of the sacks and pressures, but the offensive line has not played well, and things now could be even more challenging. And notice that I didn't even mention the penalties. So the Commanders, in their 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon, a whopping 11 accepted penalties for 136 yards, and five of the 11 accepted penalties were on the offensive line. Uh, This was Commander's head coach Ron Rivera at his rather eventful day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon on Carson Wentz and the impact that the difficulties of the offensive line have had on him. If you can stay healthy and, and, and continue to be able to protect him at a high level, and again, based on, on, on again, the numbers and analytics, you know, after the second week of the season, he was leading the, the league and when he had a clean pocket, his passing percentage. Okay. And so to your point, yeah, I'd love to be able to have somebody up out there protecting him because that'll help prop him up. You know, that'll give him a chance to, to, to get the ball to the, to the playmakers that we have. I mean, it, it, it kind of works hand in hand. You know, that if, if you don't have the protection, he doesn't have the protection. His numbers have dropped. He went from the best one based on the analytics to, I think, uh, number, I think it was 11. And then now he's, you know, just um, just beyond halfway. I think he's like at 18 or 19, somewhere in there. It, he's not where he was originally. But that, you know, again, that's what happens. And so when you don't, when you can't, protect a quarterback um, because I mean, you look at some of the names that were down at the, you know, that were down as well. They're pretty impressive names. You go, wow, okay, he didn't play very well that week. Well, that's, you know, you got to take a look and see what else happened and why that happened to these people. But, you know, that's that's the game. That's just the way it happens. I mean, guys get hurt. The next guy up has got to be able to hold it and maintain it. And 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 that's why he's a pro. And, and you know, he's got he's to be able to come in and do, do the job that's expected. Yeah, the commander's offense has been really bad over the last two games. The 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3 and the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys in Week 4. The commanders through Week 4 are 28th out of 32 NFL teams in total offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. The offensive line is a major reason for this. Carson Wentz is too, but the offensive line has become a massive concern. Now, Washington last season dealt with a truckload of offensive line injuries, but the offensive line play ended up being good. Uh, Washington overcame the injuries to where the team incredibly Finished the 2021 regular season number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63% and number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75%. Uh, The commanders have a very good and respected offensive line coach in John Matsko, but he can only do so much. You know, he can't turn water into wine. Uh, The commander's offensive line has been a major problem so far this season. And if the line doesn't somehow get better, it is hard to see the commander's offense getting much better. 
Well, you heard Ron Rivera in that cut that I just played for your reference, Carson Wentz's analytics. Uh, up next, I'm going to welcome on Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. He recently wrote about how to best evaluate a quarterback via analytics. We're going to get into that. The current mindset of Rod Rivera, uh, him seemingly having changed his messaging about this season, how close Carson Wentz could be to getting benched, and much more. Sam Fortier, Talking Commanders, is straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. Uh, there are many things that you can look at to determine the quality of an NFL team. ESPN has its efficiency stats through week four, the team that is dead last in the NFL in overall team efficiency per ESPN for the 2022 regular season is, yes, the Commanders, 32nd out of 32 NFL teams. The Commanders are one in three, they have an NFL worst point differential of minus 34, and they are dead last in the NFL in overall team efficiency per ESPN. Uh, three consecutive losses, including the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon. How we doing? Not well. Where are we going? Good question. Let's get to that and a lot more right now with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. You can follow Sam on Twitter at sam 4 TR with four as the number four. Sam, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Al. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, have you recovered from all of the curse words, all of the naughty words that uh, head coach Ron Rivera used in his day after the game Zoom press conference with you guys on Monday afternoon? 
uh, he, you know, he might be like that away from the cameras, but, uh, you know, sometimes, but for him to show that much emotion, that much frustration in a press conference setting when, as fans know, for so long, he has really kept it to, we're building, be patient, it's okay. I mean, really, there is a very short list of, of the times that I have seen him that emotional in a press conference. One of them was uh, after they released Dwayne Haskins. One of them uh, was last season uh, after the COVID outbreak, after uh, you know DeShazer Everett's girlfriend was killed, after Montez Sweat's brother was killed, and they got you know destroyed in Dallas. Uh, he said, you know, they're going through some real life stuff. Um, but th- it's a very, very short list of when I've seen him like that. So the previous Monday afternoon, September 26th, Rod Rivera at his day after the game press conference that followed the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field gave short, testy, borderline confrontational answers. His answers this past Monday afternoon were longer and friendlier, but he certainly let out some frustration. What do you think that Ron is thinking right now? These press conferences are like windows into Ron's psyche. They definitely are. And I think that uh, it's interesting because the thing that stuck out to me was kind of like just the way, not only, you know, some of the, some of the curse words he used, but also when he said, I just feel like we should be better. It just doesn't make sense to me that we're not better. That to me stuck out because, you know, I, I think that while the defense took a little bit to get going, while the offensive line has, has had a lot of troubles, you still look at this team and you say, like, hey, like, <laughs> you guys have a very good complement of skill players. You have a quarterback who is is at least capable of maximizing them. H- how are, how is this team one and three? And I'm sure that the you, the response could be, well, have you ever spent any time around this team before? This is what they do; they underperform. But but to me, I think the most telling thing was that Ron feels like they built it, and he feels like they had a good game plan, especially against Dallas. Um, and the results weren't there. And I think that that was troubling him a little bit. One of the things that I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 413 off Rod Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon was this change in messaging. Uh, As you know, Ron for months talked about this season needing to be a step forward season for the commanders. He essentially talked about this season as a win now season, but we recently have heard Ron talk about the commanders playing younger players. Uh, He talked about that multiple times in recent weeks. And then we on Monday afternoon had Ron saying, quote, it's not going to happen overnight. This is going to take time. It's a process. End quote. What do you make of the change in messaging? You make a really good point about the young players and, and that line. And that has not really made sense to me since the beginning of the season. Because if you look on offense, Jahan Dotson, the only rookie starting. Yes, I understand you had Derek Forrest replacing Cam Curl. And, and you know you have Jamin Davis on the defense. But to me, this is not a young team. I mean, there's a reason that Ron went out and drafted seniors or redshirt seniors mostly. Uh, in the draft because he knew he needed to take a step forward. And so to me, I, I think that's a little bit of hedging. Um, I, I I have a hard time squaring those comments w- with how he set this season up. And I think what he really admitted uh, Monday in his press conference by saying, yeah, we need to take a step forward. I, you know, th- this team has to be better. We have to play better. So 
I, I, I think that uh, that could have been some self-justification. That could have been trying to buy time. I, I don't know how charitable you want to be with the interpretation, but, but certainly I, I don't think that that squares with what he said before and what the team is. To what extent, if at all, is Rod Rivera's job as commander's head coach on the line this season? It, it really depends on like how bad, quote-unquote, the season could be. Like, I think if he wins five or fewer games, I, I think his seat is, is extremely hot. If he wins six or seven, you, you start to say, hey, is this going to work? But then you wonder, hey, if we blow it up, who are we going to go get instead? You know, who is the who is the replacement candidate? Are we going to have to tear this down? Are we going to have to, you know, do all of these other things? Is it worth it to give him an extra year? Um, I I still think that they're going to get to, to six or seven wins. Like, maybe that's just my, you know, being around the team every day. But I also think, like, this is what Ron, Ron's teams do. I mean, his winning percentage in September, I don't have it off the top of my head, but he, he's always terrible in September. And like he, you know, he looks like uh, Andy Reid in, in November and December. I mean, this is what we've seen the last two years. You start two and six or two and seven, and you make a push toward the end. In 2020, they did it, albeit in, in a historically bad division. Last year, you know, they, they tried to do it, but got derailed by COVID. I think we are possibly just headed for literally the same movie where, you know, you're two and four uh, coming out of the mini buy and you go on a little bit of a run and you finish with like eight wins. I think that's totally in play here. It really is something how much better Ron Rivera as an NFL head coach has been in the second halves of seasons as compared in the first halves of seasons. Do you have a theory for why that is? Or have you heard any good theories for why that is? So I can't speak to the, the fact why he did this in Carolina. But the things that stick out to me here, like last year, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't the entire reason, but but why did it take six weeks to tell Landon Collins he was no longer a safety? You know, it, it, took, it took five or six weeks for them to say, hey, you know, we were going to move Landon to, to linebacker, but we're not going to say linebacker. We're going to say downhill attacking style player or whatever, you know, whatever term they made up for it. Uh, so to me, it's, it's, it's like, <clears throat> you know, I, it's a different situation in 2020 when they had to start Dwayne Haskins at quarterback for four weeks because that, you know, obviously there was ownership involved there, but to me, it's why aren't tweaks made sooner? Um, I think that could be a part of it. Um, I think it could be a part of, you know, maybe it just takes him a little bit uh, to kind of understand his teams and, and kind of, you know, find the coordinator's uh, rhythm. But certainly it, it's, it is, you know, those are just some theories. I, I don't know why that it is that way. And, and when you ask him, you know, uh, it, he, I don't, he doesn't have, I think, a, a grand theory for it either. Yeah, the discrepancy between September and October, Ron Rivera, and November, December, and January, Ron Rivera, really is pronounced. We're talking with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. The Commander's starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, uh, quite bad over the last two games. How would you describe Ron Rivera's leash on Carson as the team's starting quarterback? Uh, lengthy? Short? Shortening? What's the right way for us to be looking at this? This is a really good question because to me, the leash has to be really long because of all you invested in them, not only trading the picks, but taking on the $28 million of salary, that impacting what else you could do with the team. But to me, it has to be really long. And this is, I, I kind of liken this to 
when people wanted to fire Jack Del Rio after two games. It's like, who is better? You know, there's who on that defensive coaching staff has called plays before? Who is going to be better? I, I understand the defense is not performing, and I understand that this is happening, but who's going to be better? And so to me, like if you say, hey, Carson Wentz isn't it, it's like, okay. I mean, we know what Taylor Heineke is. And, and, and I think that anyone, for as bad as Carson Wentz can be, he still makes throws. He still is capable of things Taylor is not. And so to me, you, you would be inherently lowering your ceiling. You would be raising your floor by benching Carson for Taylor. But uh, you would also be, you know, what would you be trying to accomplish uh, by, by doing that? And, and the other question to me is, okay, you, you, some people might say, oh, Sam Howell. Sam Howell was a fifth-round pick, a rookie, who, you know, in preseason performances and in, in, in practices was fine. But I just – I think that Carson Wentz, if you have designs on taking a step forward, you need to play your hand that gives you the best chance uh, to, to have the highest ceiling. And I think that that's still clearly Carson couldn't get out of hand because he has been terrible the last two games. Don't – you know, let me not mince words on that. Guess, particularly against Dallas when – I think Scott Turner in the offense, and you talked to offensive players in the locker room after, they felt they had a good game plan. Throw short passes, pick up yards after catch, run the ball effectively. They did two of those things. And uh, Carson could not, you know, be effective in that role. And so to me, even though he's been terrible, I still think he's the best guy for the rest of the year. Carson Wentz, of course, has gotten pressured and pummeled so much over the last three games. I think that everybody gets that the sacks and quarterback hits have been functions of both bad play from Carson and bad play from the offensive line. That said, has one party been more culpable than the other? Yeah, it, it's it's tough because it, it varies from play to play. And, and really, in that Eagles game, I thought it was really close to 50-50, particularly on the sacks. But I, w- I would say that in Dallas, you know, just in the, in the tape I've been able to rewatch, it, se- it seems like the offensive line um, certainly did Carson no favors. But I would say that even on plays where there is not pressure in the pocket, I think that Carson is putting himself under pressure by anticipating pressure. And what I mean by that is there, there's a play that sticks out to me um, where Carson has, a, you know, he's in the gun, he has a clean pocket, but he, he senses that pressure could be coming up the middle. And so he drifts back and, you know, a defensive end that, that I believe right tackle Sam Cosby was basically washing up and around, like the defensive tackle, you know, gets a, gets a hand on him and affects the throw. And so to me, that pressure is on Carson, not on Sam Cosby, who was playing, I think, pretty good technique. So it's it's tough to say who who is it on more. I think the offensive line um, certainly has been challenged on their third center. Uh, they benched Trey Turner. So I, I would say the offensive line is certainly more culpable. But as we've seen in, in Carson Wentz's past stuff, he is not immune. He is not very good at saying, okay, I, I just got hit six times, but I'm still going to step up in this pocket. Like that really does affect him and he makes things worse. While we're talking Carson Wentz, I want to ask you about a piece that you wrote about a month ago. Headline, how to best evaluate Carson Wentz. These analytics offer insight. Uh, we talk analytics a lot on this podcast. Quarterback stats are so interesting for so many reasons. Uh, there is no one perfect stat. In your conversations with people for that article, what are some of the things that stick with you regarding the best way to evaluate quarterback play in 2022? Yeah, and, and this is a really good question. And I, and I want to point out something you said that's very key is that there isn't one 
metric. And so we can talk about kind of things that I'm looking at now with Carson, but to kind of give an, an overview, there's really three types of, of stats here. And the first is outcome, which is, you know, everything that you can measure that happened, a touchdown pass, a completion percentage. Um, you have charting, which adds like a schematic element to that, right? Like how has, you know, Carson Wentz performed on play action versus true dropback. Uh, and then you have tracking stats, which is when you're watching the broadcast and you see, you know, NFL next gen stats, this player ran 20 miles an hour or this player, you know, did X, Y, or Z. So, uh, an outcome is really like, that's the, the best that we, that's the, the most information that we have out there. Right. Um, and, and to me, like when I think about this, uh, a lot of people like to point out passer rating Carson's was so good last year. Because he, and that stat, you have to look under the hood of these stats, right? The passer rating really relies a lot on touchdown interception ratio. So last year, Carson had 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and he looked really good in passer rating. But if you dug deeper, there were some concerns. And, and so there's, you know, a couple metrics uh, based on expected points added EPA, which basically turns the field into a grid. And it says, you know, and it accounts for, it gives yards context, basically. So a, a two yard gain on third and one is better than a two yard gain on first and 10. But basically if you, and, and that takes into account sacks, which obviously, as we know, is a part of Carson Wentz that it is not very good that he, he has always struggled with. And there's some analytics that say that, sacks are really a quarterback stat and, and I know that's not true but but you know are, are 100% true but quarterbacks have dictated uh you know pressure between offensive lines between teams over the years and so if you look at EPA which factors in sacks in a way that passer rating doesn't you know that'll kind of give you more of a of a nuanced look and so you look at these different stats to kind of say hey what do we think about this you know what do we think about that aspect of Carson Wentz's game and so uh, something that I've been looking at recently is, you know, a, ch a charting stat from, from Pro Football Focus. And some of their grades, we can debate that. But when, when they say, hey, here's how Carson Wentz is in a clean pocket versus under pressure. Here's how easy against the blitz, not the blitz. Those are some really interesting statistics to look at because it tells you, hey, uh, you know, how is this guy performing in certain situations? The thing that, that has been maybe most interesting to me, and I'm, and I'm thinking about writing about this, so uh, hopefully none of my <laughs> – no, nobody else on the beat is listening. But <laughs> – uh, last year, Taylor Heineke was incredible with play action. Like the difference between true drop back and play action was massive for Taylor. And, and Scott Turner loves play action. He loves motion. He loves giving quarterbacks, trying to give them easier answers. Carson has been pretty bad with play action this year. And I don't know if that's because the offensive line hasn't been athletic with, with Andrew Norwell and, and Trey Turner at the guard spots. Uh, it's because they're not selling it well. But in the last few years, Carson Wentz has not been very good through this charting stat, basically delineating between play action and true dropback, and, and I'm curious because Ron said in you know last week that if you want to be a if you want to be a play action team, you need to start executing some of these things. Well, is that on Carson? Is that on the offensive line? That's something I'm trying to figure out right now. I think that that topic would make for a great article. You know, I always get a kick out of Ron Rivera talking analytics. Uh, he clearly is open to them, but whenever he talks about them or tries to bring up an advanced ad. He seemingly never quite gets it right, and you can tell that he doesn't have full command of the topic. Uh, he, in his day-after-the-game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, did bring up Carson Wentz's clean pocket passing, 
from earlier this season. That pretty clearly was a reference to Pro Football Focus. Uh, the commanders in their front office do have people with analytics backgrounds, people like Senior Vice President of Football Administration Rob Rogers and Pro Scout Connor Berenger, who actually used to work for PFF. How into analytics are the commanders? Yeah, so Ron Rivera also, I would point out, he loves the saying, figures lie and liars figure, which I think is a way for him to kind of minimize stats that he doesn't like. And, and you know, But he does bring up stats um, w- when he thinks they're relevant, such as the clean pocket thing for Carson yesterday. Um, so the commanders, according to Seth Walder, uh, covers analytics in the NFL for ESPN, and he does some of their like proprietary metrics. He always ranks teams, you know, or, or does anonymous surveys of analytics team people. And Washington is always in like the bottom five with Tennessee and I believe Las Vegas, at least pre McDaniels, um, in terms of being some of the worst analytics teams in the league. And uh, Connor Barringer, who you mentioned, is is more of a traditional scout. Rob Rogers. Doesn't do a ton of analytics, I think, in general. But they, they have one guy, Doug Drury, um, who does, you know, analytical decision-making. Last year when they were, I want to say, up nine and they took a knee instead of kicking an extra point. I forget which game that was in, but that was a, an analytical decision that said, hey, you know, it's better for us to knee it and be up nine with however much time there was left instead of kicking a field goal because if it's blocked and returned, then it becomes a one-possession game. So the, the commanders by all accounts, by the people who know it best, uh, are, are one of the worst teams analytically league-wide. <laughs> well, well, I don't think that that's going to sit well with a lot of people. Uh, certainly does not sit well with me. Uh, the commander's defense, it has been better over the last two games off the performance in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. Ultimately, what do you think that this commander's defense is going to be this season? <sighs> I think my best guess is that they're going to be somewhere between 2021 and 2020. They're not going to be a dominant unit that, like Dallas, can generate a ton of pressure with just four, which obviously helps your back end. You get to play seven in coverage, but I think that they're, I think that they're going to be all right. Um, I think what you've seen from them the last two games is probably where they'll be. I mean, you're, you're probably going to allow you know, between 17 and 21 points a game on average. And, and, and the way you've built the offense, that has to be games that they can win. So I think the defense will be good enough. You know, I think the linebackers have, have certainly played better. The secondary is is fine. If you get Chase Young back in, in week seven or eight, then then hopefully, you know, he gets back up to speed quickly and, and you know, you can get going. Um, but as of right now, I think expectations are are to be like a middle of the pack unit right now. One more for you. Uh, Your paper, The Washington Post, it on September 24th came out with a report saying that NFL owners' attitudes toward Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder were hardening. Uh, According to the report, multiple NFL owners believed that, quote, serious consideration may be given to attempting to oust Snyder from the league's ownership ranks, either by convincing him to sell his franchise or by voting to remove him, end quote. What did you make of Dan being out in the open at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas on Sunday? I get that he supposedly has been at other commanders games this season, but he this past Sunday was very visible in a manner in which he had not been so far this season. He was not hiding. 
Uh, we had the now infamous picture that included him and Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones. Did you find Dan being out there as he was this past Sunday significant or not so much? Yeah, no, it absolutely was significant. Uh, it made me wonder a lot of things, a lot of speculation that, you know, that I necessarily wouldn't put in the paper, but it's like, to me, it's like, does he know something about the investigations that we don't? Is this a statement after our article? Is it has something to do with, you know, they just hired a new top business side communications official um, named Jean Medina. Is that, you know, a, a part of her messaging? I think there's a, a plenty of theories. Why, or, or is it linked to none of these? Did he just want to go out because he's good friends with Jerry Jones? And, and you know, he thought, hey, being... Uh, in Dallas, I, I, I feel totally protected here and, and I can go out and do this. I mean, obviously you're going to have theories when the guy who's been behind the scenes hasn't even been at training camp practice all of a sudden shows up in, you know, one of the, one of the most opulent, large scale stadiums in the NFL. I mean, you're always going to wonder that, but I don't have a firm handle on, on why. Yeah, that certainly doesn't seem like a nothing, Dan Snyder being out there as he was this past Sunday. Commander's insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. He does an excellent job covering the team. Sam, thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I, I know I rambled on a few of those answers, but you asked me some questions that, uh, that I care a lot about. So this was a good shot. Well, the Nationals have just one game left in their nightmare of a 2022 season. They will conclude it on Wednesday with Game 3 of a three-game series at the National League's number one wildcard team, the New York Mets, a 4-10 first pitch. The Mets on Tuesday night were eliminated from National League East contention. Uh, the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday night clinched a fifth consecutive NL East title with a 2-1 win at the Miami Marlins. The last team that wasn't the Braves that won the NL East was the Nats in 2017. Uh, the Nats and Mets on Tuesday played a traditional doubleheader to make up Monday night's rain postponed game. And the results for the Nats were not pretty. Uh, game one of the doubleheader, a 4-2 Nats loss that dropped the Nats to 55 and 105, clinching them having the worst record in the majors for the 2022 regular season. Although, as you may know, that does not guarantee that the Nats will have the number one pick in the 2023 MLB draft. Uh, the new collective bargaining agreement stipulates a draft lottery system in order to discourage tanking. Uh, so the Nats are guaranteed only a top seven pick in the 2023 draft and will only have a 16.5% chance of getting the number one pick. And then game two of the doubleheader, an eight-nothing loss that dropped the Nats to a major league worst 55 and 106 with a major league worst run differential of minus 245. Uh, the Nats starting pitching in these games on Tuesday was, uh, shall we say, not good. Uh, Corey Abbott was the Nats starting pitcher in game one. He allowed four runs, three earned in four innings, gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued four walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. Did record six strikeouts, but he struggled. 88 pitches, just 48 strikes, versus 40 balls. And then Paolo Espino, as an ad starting pitcher in game two, had a disaster of an outing. He allowed seven runs and recorded just one out. Yeah, seven runs in a third of an inning. He began his start by giving up three 
consecutive home runs. It was crazy. This happened while New York Yankees right fielder Aaron Judge in a 3-2 loss at the Texas Rangers began that game by hitting his 62nd home run, setting a new American League record for most home runs in a regular season. So as Judge hit number 62 for one New York team, the other New York team was smashing three consecutive home runs off poor Paolo Espino to begin his outing. Uh, and then there was the Nats offense in this doubleheader. Uh, no bueno. The Nats in game one finished with just two runs, just seven hits, just two walks, went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. Riley Adams in game one as an Nats starting catcher and number nine batter, one for four with a two-run homer. Uh, he and the Nats two-run fifth hit a two-run homer to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-2, but Adams in a Mets two-run second committed a pass ball. And then the Nats in game two, zero runs, nine hits, a double, and eight singles, zero walks, and how about this, 17 strikeouts. Yeah, the Nats on Tuesday night on what was a rainy, miserable night at City Field struck out 17 times. Overall, Tuesday, another ugly day in a very ugly season for the Nats. And the Nats getting swept in this doubleheader at the Mets came off president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo conducting an end of season session with reporters. You know, we do not hear from Mike as often these days as we did when the Nats were good. Now, he during the season does do a weekly appearance on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan, but in terms of sessions with reporters, there haven't been many of those with Mike over these last few seasons. Uh, What has happened with the Nats has got to be hard for him, but of course, what has happened with the Nats has had a lot to do with him. Uh, I'm a big Mike Rizzo fan, but the truth is that his bad drafts and the Nats' failures and player development are the top reasons that the Nats are where they are. Uh, Looming over everything with the Nats right now is their ownership uncertainty. Uh, We know that the learners are open to selling at least part of the team. The general belief And what is my belief is that the learners will be selling the entirety of their ownership. And of course, who ends up owning the Nats is a massive deal. Uh, Assuming that there will be new majority ownership of the Nats, uh, when will that happen? What will the new ownership be like? Will the new ownership keep the likes of Mike Rizzo and manager Davey Martinez in place? A lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty right now. Uh, This was Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon on the Nats' plan for this coming off season, oh, we're gonna we're gonna attack it. Uh, first of all, we're gonna do we're gonna do an autopsy of of the of the uh, organization after the season to see where we're at. We'll uh, we'll have a discussion with ownership to see where uh, you know where our parameters are. Uh, but for suffice it to say that uh, you know we're not we're not comfortable with uh, losing 100 plus games and uh, that's something that uh, I want to avoid again in the the near future and uh, we're going to put together an offseason that uh, uh, we're going to be aggressively attacking the free agent market, the trade market, the international market and any other market that helps us acquire uh, impactful players that helps us get better sooner. All right. So Mike Rizzo there said that he will be having a discussion with ownership to see where his parameters for the offseason will be. Uh, Well, who exactly will be making up that ownership? Uh, More from Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to control what I can control. You know, we're, we're a business as usual. We're going to go through the uh, the, the end of this regular season and, and do our do our postseason uh, uh, work and and try to explore every way to, to get better. And we'll we'll get our marching orders and our direction from above when we get them. We'll we'll employ those directions. But until then, we're we're business as usual, like we've done every year. 
Yeah, <laughs> business as usual until it's business as not usual. Uh, now, also on Tuesday was Davey Martinez during his pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon saying that his entire coaching staff will be back for the 2023 season. This is Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon with his assessment of the job that Davey has done as Nats manager this season. I think he's doing a good job. I, I think I, I, I've seen uh, what they've done with uh, with some of the younger players. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I, I see progress in, uh, in 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 some of our young guys like uh, like Garcia and Abrams and Kiebert before he, w- he was hurt. Uh, I think he's. I think they've. Uh, you've seen a lot of progress in uh, in uh, you know some of our pitchers, especially our bullpen has, has done a remarkable job uh, taking some uh, some unproven guys, some guys that were cast aside by other organizations. And, and really made them uh, into uh, into uh, you know big league talent that we can depend on and uh, and I think that uh, you know I, I, you, you see a team out there that plays hard you know 27 outs uh, sometimes it's not pretty uh, but they're, they're, the effort is there and I think that's that's all you know uh, uh, accountable for for the coaching staff and for David. All right, so that was a pretty strong endorsement of Davey Martinez by Mike Rizzo. Uh, I like Davey. I think that Davey deserves a lot of credit for there seemingly being zero clubhouse issues with the Nats over the last three seasons, despite the team being quite bad in each of the last three seasons. I think that Davey also deserves credit for the team continuing to play hard, uh, notwithstanding the 17 strikeout performance on Tuesday night. But the team, for the most part, has played hard. But, you know, there are things that Davey needs to be looking at for sure. Uh, the Nats this season have been a horrendous base running team. Uh, they are dead last in the majors by Miles and Fangraphs, all-encompassing base running stat, base running runs. The number of outs that the Nats have made on the base pass this season it feels like a million. Uh, some of that absolutely is on Davey and his staff. When we talk about the lack of quality player development by the Nats, I think that you do have to look at Davey and his staff and at least ask some questions. You know, the Austin Voth debacle, him struggling with the Nats for years, but then this season blossoming into a very effective pitcher for the Orioles. Uh, yeah, that's a bad look for Mike Rizzo, but that's also a bad look for Davey and his staff. The continued declines of starting pitchers Patrick Corbin and Derek Fetty, the rough season that starter Josiah Gray had, uh, the continued struggles of outfielder Victor Robles, all of that reflects poorly on the Nats, including Davey Martinez. And I'm not saying that Davey deserves to be fired, but the Nats really do need to take a long, hard look at their process because it, to me, very much feels like there's something systemically wrong with the Nats to where they aren't developing players well and aren't improving slash fixing players frequently enough. And in the cases of Corbin, Fetty, and Robles, guys get worse, not better. Speaking of Patrick Corbin, uh, Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon said that he does see Corbin as continuing to be a starting pitcher for the Nats despite a third consecutive bad season. And understand, Corbin's 2022 was worse than his 2021, which was worse than his 2020. He's getting worse, not better. But this was Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon on how he sees Patrick Corbin. 
I see him as a, as a, as a starter for us next year. Uh, he takes the ball every fifth day. Uh, you know, his, his, uh, his, his stuff was good. His velocity and his fastball was good. His spin rate was, was good. I think that, uh, I think his, you know, his last seven or eight starts were, uh, I think, more indicative of who he's going to be next year than his previous starts. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the defense we put behind him is going to help improve his, uh, you know, his bottom line next year. Uh, but I, I give the guy credit. He answered the questions every five days he took the ball every five days and uh, and he you know he's he's a pro and I think that he's going to come back with a little chip on his shoulder next year and and try to prove a lot of naysayers wrong and uh, and I think that uh, you know he'll uh, he'll get closer to the uh, to the 2018 and 19 uh, Patrick Corbin that we've seen in the past yeah that would be lovely but uh, we've been waiting on that Patrick Corbin for a while now uh, what about starting pitcher Steven Strasburg Uh, This season was Strasburg's age 33 season and the third season of a seven-year, $245 million contract to which he was re-signed as a free agent in December 2019. He, since signing that contract, has made just eight major league regular season starts. Strasburg in the 2020 regular season made just two major league starts. He, on August 26, 2020, underwent surgery to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand. Strasburg in the 2021 regular season made just five major league starts. He on July 28, 2021, underwent surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. And Strasburg in the 2022 regular season made just one major league start for the Nats. He in a 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins on June 9th allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. The Nats on June 14th placed Strasburg on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs, and the Nats on July 14th transferred Strasburg to the 60-day injured list. Strasburg's career may well be over. This was Mike Rizzo on Tuesday afternoon on Where We Are with Steven Strasburg. I don't know. It's a it's a good question. Uh, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's still a bit, little bit of a mystery. Uh, I know that he's working hard, strengthening uh, his uh, his core and, and uh, the other parts of his body. We're just going to have to see with uh, with the uh, with the type of surgery and re- and rehab that he's had. It's it's unfamiliar to us. Uh, it's unfamiliar to a lot of people, uh, and uh, we're just going to uh, we're going to have to take it day by day. It's it's something that uh, I know Strauss is working extremely hard uh, in in doing what he can do uh, and then we'll have to see what the what the rehab process takes us later on in the winter we're going to monitor him and uh, you know he's he's local so we'll see him all the time and, and we'll see where he's at you know going into uh, spring training mode so Mike Rizzo on Steven Strasburg quote it's still a little bit of a mystery end quote uh, boy that is not encouraging uh, nothing with Strasburg has been encouraging For a long time now, it really does feel like he's done. Now, whether he and the team are willing to admit to that, who knows? And maybe Strasburg does give it another go next season, but it really does feel like he's done. We'll see. But thankfully, the Nats 2022 season is just about done.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 415, will include a lot on the commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at 1. We expect both head coach Rod Rivera and quarterback Carson Wentz to do post-practice press conferences on Wednesday. Also on Thursday show, the ends of the Nationals and Orioles' 2022 seasons. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon at 410 will begin their game number 162 at the National League's number one wildcard team, the New York Mets. And the O's on Wednesday afternoon at 1235 will begin a traditional doubleheader against the American League's number one wildcard team, the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.